Welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber, and I am sitting here with James Harkin, Anna Chazinski, and Andrew Hunter-Murray. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with you, Chazinski. My fact this week is that one of the costume designers on Star Wars also made a moose suit for scientists to help them sneak up on moose. <laughs> or mooses. Or moosuch. Or meese. Is moosuch the actual plural? Yeah, because it's a Native American word and that's how this particular tribe pluralizes it. So what's yeah. the advantage of sneaking up on a moose? Well, if you want to hang out with them, which these scientists did, so they were studying moose in the Yellowstone area, and I think they were specifically at this time looking at how they were responding to predators. So wolves, numbers had declined in Yellowstone, and moose had got used to living without them, and then I think they'd come back, and the scientists wanted to see if moose had forgotten how to escape wolves, and so they needed to put wolf poo and wee where moose lived to check how they responded to to the threat. And so this researcher called Joel Berger asked a woman who worked on the set of Star Wars to make him a moose suit so he could go and deposit moose poo and wee around moose. Yeah, because they did used to, before the moose suit came along, did attempt to sort of throw balls of poo and wee out at the moose in order to attract them towards it, but they couldn't throw far enough, so they ended up just littering the, uh, yeah, the landscape. I think they still sometimes use balls. They use snowballs. Yep. So they get snowballs and they'll put... Sometimes they even put human wee on because they want to see how they'll um, deal with humans. So they'll wee on a snowball and then throw it towards the moose. Yeah, that's right. And they would slingshot them as well. And Joel Berger wrote about this. He's written a book called uh, The Better to Eat You With. And he describes mm. the moment where he first... He had, it's like this eureka moment where he's in the place observing the moose. And he says to his colleague, wait, I've had a brilliant idea. I'm going to wee on the snowball. But then he, he says he's run out of wee because he recently went to the loo. So he just, instead of explaining that properly... I wouldn't say you've run out of wee. I've run out recently. of wee. Oh, no, I've run out of wee again. <laughs> okay. But he, his wee stockpile was depleted. And, uh, so he just made a snowball with his hands and then turned to his colleague and said, quick, piss on this uh, so I can throw it at the deer. Wow. And it's, I think his colleague is his wife, is it not? Uh, it was, this was a male colleague. Not his wife. Oh, okay. Maybe he's got more than one colleague. Or yeah. <laughs> Probably not after this experiment. <laughs> Probably goes through colleagues quite quickly. Um, I've been to Yellowstone and seen the moose, and you can drive right up to them and they just sit there. Oh, yeah. So I don't know why he needs to sneak up on them. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. Are they actually Yellowstones or are they urine-covered uh, <laughs> snowballs? <laughs> it was just called Stone National Park before he got there. <laughs> well, this is the thing. So when they do it in the experiments with the snowballs they they also use human feces and they have to use used toilet paper i think because they say well we're going to do this in a safe biodegradable way rather than just pooing into a snowball mm. <laughs> yeah that's yeah. interesting i think i would take the poo and then put the snowball around it that's how you do that yeah. poo into the snowball <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes well everyone's got different methods james and yeah. we'll see whose is more effective i don't think you'd be very good at this andy i'm lethal in a snowball fight though <laughs> You have to wait for the other team to contract dysentery, though, don't you? <laughs> Meanwhile, you're oh, being pelted. But... It's a long technique, James, but come the next snowball match in two days, they are going to lose. 
So the idea with this moose suit is that they wanted to sneak up on the moose in order to get close enough um, by tricking the moose into thinking they were fellow moose. And uh, so this is who he did do it with his wife, who's uh, written up in all the articles as Miss Cunningham. So Miss Cunningham and Dr. Berger got inside the moose suit. She was the back, he was the front, and they walked up to the moose. And I don't think the moose took to them too well, uh, from what I really? read. Oh, he said it worked quite well in the end. He managed five successful deposits. Um, but maybe they didn't like it at first. Well, mm. Did they make it realistic? As no. in, did they push the real wolf droppings to, that they were testing the moose with out of the back end of their costume moose? Oh, no, because no, they because... don't want the moose to think that wolves look like moose. <laughs> <laughs> that all wolves come disguised as moose. Yeah, it's a wolf in, uh, in moose clothing. Moose clothing. Yeah. <laughs> so the moose have a saying, it's just a human in moose clothing to mean... And who's shitting wolf shit. <laughs> yeah. This is just a way to really confuse a lot of moose, isn't it? Yeah. But the moose wouldn't be able to make the connection between the poo they'd seen coming out and think, smell it and think, oh, that's... that's of course they would. Now, yeah. That's what animals do all the time. Animals I, are always smelling poos and being able to recognise other animals. But they, I don't think that a moose is clever enough. I'm sorry if this is slandering the moose community. Uh-oh. To see a scientist dressed as a moose pushing a wolf poo out of a fake moose costume and then go over and sniff it and think... That's a dangerous animal. But do you not see that they might be confused? I can see they might be confused. (laughs) No one's debating that. That is fair. (laughs) But this is... So you ask if this was realistic, and um, I guess she was quite a good costume designer, because Star Wars is quite big. Um, Hmm. But it was made of styrofoam and cloth, and a lot of them seem to be made of styrofoam. So scientists quite often want to sneak up on animals for various reasons, and styrofoam seems to be the material of choice. So someone this year in Montana uh, dressed up as a grizzly bear in Glacier National Park in Montana to try and scare mountain goats. And again, styrofoam costume. Right. And is that to train the goats to be afraid of bears? Yes. Wow. Mm, That's good. It's because, do you know why they've stopped being afraid of predators generally? Sorry, what animals are we talking about here? This is mountain goats. Mountain goats. Is it because there aren't enough predators around to be afraid of? We're back on... um, urine and feces it's due to human urine so there was a piece in the new york times last week about how in this national park uh all the mountain goats are flocking towards where humans go because they wee along all the trekking tracks and the wee's full of salt and goats love salt so human urine creates salt licks and so now Ah. they've just stopped being nervous about predators because they spend so much time around humans so how do they scare them do they just run up to them and do they rip them apart with their (laughs) Bear costume yeah. hands. That's not scaring so much. That is scary. <laughs> you wouldn't say terrible news. Someone recently got scared by a bear, and then you read the small print. It turns out they got torn to pieces by it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's poor encourage les autres. All the other goats would be very scared. That's true. Yeah. If you invited all the goats to an event, yeah. So there's going to be a massive urine lump for you all to lick, and then a bear turns up and rips every, rips the goat to pieces. You stop licking urine lumps. Yeah. And also, sorry, is poor encourage les autres yeah. a real friend? that people use yeah, I, was, we, I was quite scared by that phrase well, yeah me too um, I, thought, I thought you just messed up what you were saying but you carried on <laughs> I was going to address it after the podcast <laughs> you're right mate <laughs> it's a French phrase you it's you obviously fools. a French phrase it's an English but... podcast oh uh, yeah I forgot that sorry I was thinking of my other podcast <laughs> are you actually a Frenchman in an Andy costume or <laughs> <laughs> hey um, um, we lost an sorry do you no, want to I want to tell you about poor encourage okay. oh yeah sorry yeah yeah, it's a phrase. So uh, let's. I mean, say... we know what it means. Oh, you don't. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, we know what it means. 
But well, for the people also... at home who don't, maybe... No, you, you, ex- you, did ex- you explained it anyway, because you explained what would happen with the bear killing one goat and then... Yeah, I know. But I just think Dan's being a bit cocky there. So we definitely know what he means when he didn't know what language it was a second ago. <laughs> so we, are, we lost a iconic man in a suit this week. Um, the sad passing of a man called Haruo Nakajima, who was for the first twelve Godzilla movies, Godzilla. Oh, wow. spent his the first well spent a large chunk of his career inside the same Godzilla suit. So they use the same actor. He's like Andy Serkis for uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. You know, he's just used as the CGI guy. He was wow. the same guy in every suit. My face then, when you said Andy Circus in Lord of the Rings was the same as your face when Andy <laughs> said the French phrase. <laughs> so Andy Circus was uh, Gollum in right. um, Lord of the Rings. Well, he wasn't in a suit, was he? Because I, I think I've seen clips of that and no. he's like a CGI. He's a CGI. He's a motion yes. capture right. guy. So, and he also is uh, the chief ape in the Planet of the Apes films. Yes. Right. He and, basically is ma- and what else does Tintin, he Tintin. He's um, Captain Haddock and was he something else in King Kong? King Kong, he, he is King Kong. Kong. He was, was King Kong. Yeah, and yeah. Did he? He didn't play Godzilla in the recent. No, Western I don't Godzilla. think so. But I would go and see a circus show, which was Andy Circus, as all the animals that Andy Circus has played over the course of his career, and they're all Andy Circus in different costumes. Right. What about he was in Little Dorrit as one of the bad guys? Oh, would you include that? <laughs> yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, so. Um, this guy was famous in Japan for being Godzilla, and he was in it for 12 movies. Um, he's just passed away, age 88. And in order for him to properly understand how Godzilla might move, he spent a lot of time at the zoo watching the elephants and bears to see how they walked and how they... So he claimed that he did method acting on, on how Godzilla would exist. He took it really seriously. Mm. Um, wow. Yeah, so we lost him this week, a, a very iconic man in a suit. On Star Wars as well, sort of in costume news mm. of Star Wars... Um, For a very long time, they lost Obi-Wan Kenobi's robe, the one that Alec Guinness wears in Mm. the movies. And so um, it was a shame because it's such an iconic thing. They obviously didn't realize at the time how iconic it would become over the years. Um, But it was found in 2005, and it was in the shop warehouse of this company called Angels that does um, costume lending for movies and for Halloween costumes yeah. and so on. So they Angels. Yeah, Angels. In yeah. fact, there used to be one, or there still might be one. Well, just one in Soho. Yeah, just mm-hmm. around the corner from us. And um, uh, yeah, they found it in there. And it spent the sort of 30 years that it's been missing being rented out during You're Halloween. No. Yeah, for fancy oh. dresses, to, for people dressing as monks. So it would be a fancy dress costume. <laughs> it made it into a few movies unknowingly, like The Mummy. It's in The Mummy. No! Yeah. Wow. So this is in 2005. They found it again. And wow. um, yeah, it was someone working there was like, this feels like this is not your regular monk well, How did outfit. they know it was his? Did it have his name tag in the back or I, something? So yeah, I couldn't find that detail. Um, what I do know is, is that the, um, the creator of the costumes, the original Star Wars costume designer, different to the one you're talking about, mm-hmm. Anna, he verified that it was that. He said, right. yeah. So there must have That's been something amazing. on it to identify it. Great. The Angels is amazing, though. I didn't know this place exists. It basically supplies costumes for all the best films so mm. uh, three of the five nominees this year for best costume uh, all the costumes came from this place angels it's been supplying um hollywood film costumes since 1940 since the 1940s so i think its first oscar was in 1948 for hamlet and its most recent is the grand budapest hotel and it's just this one place in london that everyone Amazing. goes to get costumes and it supplied my um costume a few years ago in 2012 when i went as a mayan 
did it? Yeah. Mm. That wasn't in the article I read, Was actually. It no. It will be now. They'll do an update. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to go in. Um, costumes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did you see in the news this week that in Game of Thrones, um, Jon Snow's cape is made out of an Ikea rug? <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> That's to, so funny. To present the Channel 4 News. <laughs> oh, no, here we go. Deliberate ignorance by Anna. Um, I actually... Um, I've never seen it, but do they all have capes with uh, quintessentially IKEA-type patterns yep. on them? That's the um, the ladder that's going up the wall. It's just a load of Billy Butt cases. <laughs> it's really in. annoying because there's one bit missing, and that's a key scene in the TV series. Yeah. Uh, and the other big Game of Thrones news is that there was a big battle this week, not too much of a spoiler, and it featured half of all the stunt performers in the UK. Whoa! And wow. most of them were set on fire. And that they, they a... beat the world record for most people set on fire at one time. That's wow. amazing. <laughs> Presumably they... the officially recorded most people on fire Well, at one time. Guinness doesn't recognise the record... Um, uh. But they, people in the industry kind of know what the record was. They think it was, there were 13 burning actors in Saving Private Ryan. Okay. And in Braveheart, there were 18 people who were partially burned. So okay. they were kind of the record. And okay. they've gone up to 20 people set on fire at the same time, or 73 people set on fire over the course of a show. Bloody hell. Are they all Okay. They are, but it's Great. quite weird because they put this gel on you and they set fire to you and it's, the gel kind of keeps the heat away from you. But you oh. can't breathe while it's happening, otherwise you breathe in the fire. Oh, so right. you have to hold oh. your breath for what? like 30 seconds. Uh, and it's like doing an underwater scene apart from it's much more dangerous because if you breathe in, you're just going to breathe in fire. This it's- is insane. Surely we have CGI that can replicate fire mm. that doesn't involve people having to inhale flame. I, yeah, think, but- the old, I think the old ways are the best. Yeah. It's it's exactly the opposite of an underwater scene, James. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to pick you up on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and the, apparently one big problem is after it's finished, after you, they put you out, you kind of lie on the floor and you have to lie there for a few minutes because if you stand up, you might get reignited by accident. And that's one of the bit most dangerous things because there's a lot of fire around and... This is this sounds like a ridiculous program. They don't have any of that on the Channel Four News. <laughs> well, that, one good thing is that IKEA stuff is often flame retardant, so that might be a, a oh, good yeah. you know use for that. That's good. Yeah. You might watch one. So John Snow could have put everyone out with yeah. his cape, <laughs> one by one. <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that Switzerland has 18 living (laughs) (laughs) ex-presidents. Okay, so funny. I think that's quite a lot. It's huge. Yeah. Because how many ex-prime ministers have we got? Four or five? Yeah. Four. We've got Major, Blair, Brown, Cameron. That's it? Yeah. 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 Four. As far um, as I could see, to come up in a sort of runner-up in that uh, is Italy with prime ministers. It looks like they've got ten wow, who are really? still living. Yeah, but Italy goes through um, governments like I go through pants mm. you know, once, <laughs> once every couple of years, <laughs> but with sw- a huge amount of corruption along the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Switzerland, it is a bit of a cheat because their presidency is very unusual, and they only have like a one-year president each time and it rotates with everyone who's in the cabinet and so all you have to do is get elected into the cabinet 
and then wait your turn till everyone else has become president and then you'll automatically become You're president. That's so cool. Yeah. And also, there's no maximum number of times that you can be president. So you can just sit there and it's like the record is six times. And there are quite a few people who are currently in the cabinet who are just waiting for another go. Yeah. But they're doing other stuff as well. No. They're not <laughs> just sitting there. <laughs> just sitting there in the mountains. Yeah. But you don't get any extra power at all as president, do you? No. So they've just got this rotating council of seven who are all exactly on a par. And then you just get to be cool president for a year. It's like a children's game. It's it- a bit like, I don't know if this is like this, but it sounds a bit like, uh, do they have like a council in Star Wars, which is a bit like that? Like a council of Jedis. Oh, the Council of Jedi's, yes. Yeah, yeah. There's a thing like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's in the prequels. It's in Phantom Menace, so um, Samuel L. Jackson, that's the one. one, If you're going to watch one, that's the one. (laughs) Um, Samuel L. Jackson and um, Yoda. There's a new, uh, I think it's a new species of bat that has been named after Yoda. Is it? Yeah, and um, there was a headline about it in the Times uh, a few days ago, and it said, named after Yoda comma, new bat has been. That was the headline oh, in the Times. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that's and so the president is um, what you might call primus inter pares, which obviously I don't need to explain what that <laughs> is to Dan. Uh, but it is, it's the first among equals. So everyone's equal, but they're kind of, they take the ceremonial, you know. It's, it's like Dan hosting the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, there's, a bit more, there's a bit of power. <laughs> it's not quite that. Uh, I would say Dan's the fourth among equals. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and they can go on state visits, but technically they don't call them state visits because mm. of this equality between all of the cabinet. And so if one of them came to Britain on a state visit, we would call it that, but they wouldn't call it that. they just call it a foreign visit. I think it would be funny if all seven of them had to come and sit on the same chair whenever they had to do a state visit. That would be yeah. I would watch that. And they have to answer in one voice when they're answering questions in the press, like in that improv game. Yeah. Have to answer yeah. Everything yeah. At the same time. Or the other improv game where you say one word at a time. Yeah. Could do it that way. <laughs> so do you think that's how they decide policy, is they play that one word at a time game? Well, let's, let's try it for British policy. We should make yetis <laughs> illegal. There we go. We've got a policy already. Damn it. Sorry, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> you screwed yourself there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. That's why they've never been seen. <laughs> um, no, it's incredible. So you said, yeah, two people have held the post six times. One of them, the record is being a cabinet minister for 31 years. Yeah. Wow. 31 years just sitting in the cabinet. They're not just doing that. They're, they're making policy. They're working very hard. Absolutely, no one's disputing the might of the Swiss state. I think that's important that we say that. But they, yeah, they maintain their other job, right? Like the president in 2014, their job was also being foreign minister. They didn't stop being foreign minister. Yeah. That, that took up most of their time. Yeah. That's their yeah. main job, as it were. Presidency was a sort of sideline. So, I've been researching ex-presidents in general okay. a bit. So, did you know that Joe Biden can never drive a car again? But he's not he's an ex-president. <laughs> no, but he has been ex-vice-president. Right. So, ex-presidents and vice-presidents are not allowed to drive after they leave the White House. But are you using ex-presidents as a catch-all term to refer to presidents and vice-presidents? Because <laughs> yes, I'm I sure be- that is what the vice-presidents yeah, do. Yeah, but- I bet Joe Biden does. <laughs> yeah. I've been the vice-president of the United States of America. It's very useful on the lecture circuit. Um, and this isn't a law either, but it is a Secret Service rule, as it were. As in, the Secret Service says, well, we really think you shouldn't drive. And most people basically basically stick to it because someone else is driving you around I guess but George Bush uh, W drives around his family farm with a truck and that's Mm. about as far as he's allowed to drive 
Are they I, looked I after for the rest of their life by the Secret Service? You get, you get Secret Service protection for the rest of your life. Right. Yeah. Is that the same with Prime Ministers, do you think? I think if you started a war in Iraq, you have a lot of security <laughs> forever. I think if you're Gordon Brown, you just... No. A policeman might ring out once a month to check you're all right. Because David Cameron was at Wilderness when we were there, wasn't he? Yeah. And he had some goons around. Apparently he did, yeah. He did. But I, I missed him. Uh, I know. We normally, ca- we normally well. catch up at those things. But, you know. <laughs> um, guys, is this something everyone knows about Switzerland? That what is the capital? Oh, Bern. I think there are five. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, you're I think hedging your bets yeah. in the pub quiz, aren't you? I think it's like the cabinet. There are loads of capitals, and none of them is more important. Oh, or they each become the capital on a rotation, on a rotation system. System. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Um, you're all wrong. It doesn't have a capital. I didn't. That's why I didn't answer because there is none. Mm. Okay. So obviously everyone thinks that Bern is the capital of Switzerland, but oh, I, I just did, had no idea that it has no official capital. So its constitution doesn't mention it. It's uh, the de facto capital, isn't it? It's a de facto capital, but um, there was. A committee was set up by this seven-person council in 2002 to actually start work on making Bern the proper capital, um, and then it was suspended in 2004 and not resumed since because it was yeah. too difficult a job. All no. I'm saying is, if you're in a pub quiz and they ask you that question, go for my answer, not Anna's, <laughs> <laughs> because one, you'll get the point, and two, it will take you a long time to write about this council in 2002. And yeah, and they don't give you much room sometimes no. on the sorry, is it Bern? Am I saying Bern in this I, pub quiz? I think Bern in the pub quiz, yeah. Bern. But what, if I answered that, well, really, Geneva is the financial capital and Lausanne is the industrial capital and Bern is the political capital and there are a couple of others, would I get the point? No. Oh. You can only put one answer down. Because otherwise it. you could put every word that's ever been invented as the answer to every question. Oh, yeah, but wow. They never give you that long. <laughs> <laughs> Just because this is about Switzerland's government, it is unbelievable, their system of referenda. And so in the past 20 years, they've had more than 180 <laughs> referendums or referenda. Um, the runner-up is Ireland, which has had 22, and Latvia then, which has had eight. They just have them constantly <laughs> about everything. Yeah. It's bizarre. And one of the ones they had, for instance, was the one in 1959 as to whether women should be allowed to vote, and they voted that down. So that was a referendum that only men could take part in because women still couldn't vote in 1959. Most men in Switzerland voted against women getting the vote, and they didn't get it until 1971. So all you need is 100,000 signatures um, from registered voters in order to have the referendum. So that's why it can happen so easily. It's it's just people need to sign up. There was a party that tried to have a referendum called the APPP, um, and they were trying to ban the use of PowerPoint uh, in Switzerland. <laughs> um, and this, the APP claimed that 2.1 billion Swiss francs was being wasted on PowerPoint presentations from the sort of like taking people away from their jobs to see PowerPoint presentations and so on. Uh, they said 85% of workforce people uh, saw no point in a PowerPoint presentation. So did they have a um, petition about that then? Yeah, I think they did. And I think they failed to get the 100,000 people to sign I, it. What I was thinking is that their PowerPoint presentation, for short, would be the APPPPPP. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is great. That's like someone trying to do my initials and then really stammering suddenly. <laughs> so when you become a member of the party, you have to buy the party manifesto, which is set out in this book called The PowerPoint Fallacy. And it's authored by the guy who founded the party, who's called uh, Matthias Poem. Cool. Um, and he was asked in an interview, uh, so is this just a promotional gimmick for your book? And he said, 
yes, it is a tool to promote my book. <laughs> and then he said there's like further reasons for him doing it as well. But like, yeah, basically it was set up to sell his book, I cool. guess. Cool. Yeah. Fair enough. At least he's honest. Yeah, but that existed. That was a party. Wow. Well, a party. One guy. <laughs> One guy. That's true. Yeah, I don't know how many people signed up. <laughs> a lot up. of my parties are like that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it is time to move on to fact number three, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that a New Zealand scientist is planning to hunt for the Loch Ness Monster inside of a cup. Mm. Quick quick search. <laughs> or a big cup. Yeah, true. Actually, it's, it's, um, it's quite... Or a small b- Nessie. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a big... It's, it's a large cup. It's, it's a couple <laughs> liters. Um, it's a few cups. Basically, the idea of this is that a New Zealand scientist called Professor Neil Gemmel has been promoting this thing called eDNA, or Edna. And the idea is that we can now, taking samples of uh, water from various lakes and oceans and so on, can analyze the DNA that's found inside each cup, and they're able to diagnose what animals are in there, what animals aren't in there, if they're meant to be in there. It's it's a sort of new system of being able to count up fish um, and any any ocean life uh, of a specific area with accuracy from within just a bit of water. The idea behind going to look for Nessie is he's effectively doing this as a publicity stunt to promote the idea of eDNA. This basically got picked up by the papers. This was never his intention. When he announced the idea that he wanted to do more stuff with eDNA, a cryptozoologist got in contact with him and said, could you do this for the Loch Ness? And he said, you probably could, but I'm not planning to do that. The papers kind of reported that he said, yes, that's what I'm planning on doing. Hmm. And as a result, when he'd go to schools and everywhere else to talk about it, children would ask him specifically about Loch Ness. And using Loch Ness, he started explaining the procedures and people just way more interested generally. So he's now up for the idea of doing the Loch Ness thing because people are actually listening. It's insane. You have to do it via the Loch Ness monster. Do you know what he should try next is organizing a Swiss referendum. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the other thing about it is that there's now a massive library of fish DNA because obviously it's no good finding a bit of DNA and then thinking, well, what did this come from when you don't know the... DNA of, a, let's say, a cod. Mm-hmm. So there was a massive drive uh, organised by a scientist who is called Jesse Alsubel. They did 500 expeditions and they got basically thousands and thousands of specimens of animals from all over the oceans. So now they have this huge library of tens of thousands of fish DNA samples and now they can actually match it up to something. Cool. So that was the big fingerprinting drive. That's good. Yeah, because otherwise you've just got a bit of DNA that's completely useless. Yeah, is this I Nessie? Don't know. Could be Nessie. Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> Could be anything. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we really need some kind of reference system here. It's a hard thing to research because I kept getting articles about um, like world's oldest woman dies. You just keep getting articles about people called Edna, don't you? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So one of the ways this is going to be important is because we need to be able to keep count of our fish and know where they are because fish stocks are being depleted. And we have a bunch of ways of counting fish. I was reading an article, I think it was in The Atlantic, about how a lot of scientists and fishermen still just do the traditional way of counting fish, which is basically that you're on a ship, um, you've... (laughs) 
What's this? Just, just a traditional way must be just one. One, two, <laughs> two three, fish. One fish, two fish, three fish, four. Yeah. It is this, but they spend months and months out there. So in Massachusetts, these guys go out in a boat um, and they have a conveyor belt set up on their boat and they get this huge net and then they plop all these fish onto the conveyor belt. And then someone's job is to pick a fish off a conveyor belt, shout what species it is, throw it into the right species pile. Someone else's job is to like shove it up against a measuring board and automatically a and it measures take how long a, it is. Take a mug shot of it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's exactly like and that, then, yeah. But then do we eat these fish or do they throw them back on? They throw them back in. Well, they well, weigh them first. So the question is, how do they know that it's not the same, you know, cod <laughs> the next time? Yeah, what they have you didn't it already? explain. Hey, Jerry, this one looks a bit like that one from three weeks ago. <laughs> Are you throwing them back alive still? Yeah. So they're putting them on the conveyor belt, still alive. Yeah. They're shoving them up against a measuring board, still yeah. alive. They plop them on a set of weighing scales, <laughs> still alive. And, and then they're sent back down and no one believes them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is, you're right, that's the UFO of the fish world, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So the reason that we, it's really hard to break out of this system, which is actually not as efficient as, for instance, using a drone to count all the fish or maybe using a DNA monitoring system, is that it's kind of like the thing Andy mentioned. It's a referencing problem. So because we started counting fish this way in the 1950s or 60s, the only way we know how many fish there are compared to before is by comparing it to the previous counts. Oh, right. So we just have to keep on doing this system. If we suddenly do a new system, we'll find way more fish and we won't know how to compare it to how many there were before so we're stuck with it we're stuck with guys what we need to do is come up with a new system and then do them both together for a few years that's a really good idea James and then compare the difference yeah you should get on a committee (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have a cryptozoology fact great because we're on Nessie yeah Mm -hmm. so this is a a story from uh, the BBC this was North Carolina last week and it was about Bigfoot Dan ooh I know there was a sighting of Bigfoot yeah hugely exciting a group of hunters called Bigfoot 911 they said they'd seen Bigfoot, only for a local shaman to get in touch saying, it was me. Yeah. <laughs> I was walking around in a suit made of animal skins. And he's called Gawain. Um, but the man who wrote the group said on Facebook, I want to address the recent revelation from the gentleman that stated that I saw him in the woods. This is quite a fascinating story, but there are a few problems with it. Number one, the creature that I saw was eight foot tall with stringy matted hair. The gentleman in the picture does not appear tall. Two, the creature moved with speed unmatched by any human. So, uh-huh. But the thing is that Gawain McGregor was there looking for Bigfoot himself. <laughs> was he? Yes. He wanders around dressing in animal skins, <laughs> reciting what he says is a Sasquatch prayer. And he says that he himself has met Bigfoot before. <laughs> but has now been mistaken for Bigfoot. Very good. Anyway. Are they just seeing each other constantly and thinking they're sighting Bigfoot? <laughs> um, they did find Nessie this year. Did they? Uh, they found a Nessie. <laughs> it was a nine-metre model of the Loch Ness Monster built in 1969 for a Sherlock Holmes movie and sank to the bottom of Loch Ness, and they found it with an underwater robot. They took a photo of it. That's amazing. That's really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> did they get? Did anyone get excited initially, or were they all sensible people who <laughs> knew Nessie's what was happening? Deed. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know? You must know about Robert Rhines. 
um, the Nessie Hunter, who I'd never heard of, but is really cool. So he's a proper scientist. He died not that long ago. You're already looking sceptical, Andy. But he's made, he made massive contributions to science in America, but was also obsessed with the Loch Ness Monster and convinced it existed. Um, so he had 800 patents. Um, he developed this uh, way to improve radar and sonar images, and now it's used in Patriot missiles, wow. which wow. they use in the military. He found the Titanic wreck and he found the wreck of the Bismarck he was one of the people on that team who uncovered the Titanic Um, he made massive leaps in ultrasound imaging he contributed to like eye surgery (laughs) but he's just remembered for the fact that he was obsessed with the Loch Ness Monster and so for instance he hired a perfumer once to concoct the kind of scent that would attract a creature like the Loch Ness Monster and he trained dolphins to find it so he got cameras on dolphins (laughs) heads and trained them to be able to find Nessie um, but yeah, it's so weird. He's this really cool, legit guy. He once played a violin duet with Albert Einstein. Cool. He was a Harvard scientist, but who also kept <laughs> on trying to find the Loch Ness Monster. It's weird, isn't it? That is weird. This guy's my hero. Yeah. <laughs> he patented a form of chopsticks with hinges on them as well. He's doubly my hero. <laughs> um, I was reading that in... This is about in 2012, and I couldn't find an update on this, but um, in America, in Louisiana... Um, Christian schools that are sort of, you know, um, sort of uh, believe that dinosaurs existed at the same time as humans. Creationists. So creationist sort of mm. schools. Um, they started teaching that the Loch Ness Monster is real, a solid scientific fact to help back up all of their creationist uh, stuff. So there's an ACE textbook. Um, this is uh, Biology uh, 1099 Accelerated Christian Edu- Education, Inc., who published it. And it reads, are dinosaurs alive today? Scientists are becoming more convinced of their existence. Have you heard of the Loch Ness Monster in Scotland? Nessie, for short, has been recorded on sonar from a small submarine described by eyewitnesses and photographed by others. Nessie appears to be a plesiosaur. So that's actually taught as fact within these schools. It's wow. quite cool. I didn't know that that's Nessie... That's not quite cool. It's not cool. No, oh, the, exactly, the, because yeah, the, plesiosaurs, I don't think they're dinosaurs, really. Yeah. What? Yeah. So that is yeah. a massive mistake they've made there. Yeah. They're not dinosaurs? No, yeah. but in the same way that pterodactyls were not dinosaurs. Yeah, but don't put sore on the end of your name and not be a dino. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but dino is not on the front of the name. Yeah, yeah but sore's on the end of everything. Also, it's Tyrannosaur is a dinosaur. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like koala bears and not bears, as everyone on Twitter has been telling me <laughs> on the last two weeks. <laughs> Okay, it is time for our final fact of the show, and that is Andy. My fact is that your liver grows and shrinks by 40% every 24 hours. I am in love with the liver. Yeah, it's a great fact. Wow, what a thing. Okay, so uh, this was based on a New York Times article I read. It was just a sort of feature on the list. It wasn't really a news article as, as such. No. Breaking news, you've got a liver. But it is so cool. So the liver grows and shrinks every day. It's got its own internal clock, so it knows what time to do it. And it's it grows and shrinks in accordance with day and night, more or less. So they tested mice, and mice, their liver expands after dark, and then it shrinks back when daylight is approaching. But that's because mice are nocturnal. And obviously humans are diurnal, so our liver grows in the morning, mm. and then it shrinks at night. Do mm-hmm. you think it depends like when you go to bed? So I go to bed extremely late. And Dan goes to bed relatively early. Yeah. So do you think his liver expands earlier than mine? Maybe. So your livers might be different sizes now, wow. just because of your own body clocks. That's oh cool. Does, uh, would my liver get jet lag when I go to Australia? I think all <gasps> of you 
gets jet lagged. Does that mean that there are British people walking around <laughs> Australia with tiny livers? Yeah. <laughs> Getting pickled on the beer much quicker. I think that's what we're saying, yeah. And Australians here have massive livers. No, that's not what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> they have the same problem, don't they? They would have the same yeah. problem, yeah. So it's the size of a chihuahua. At uh, which stage? Chihuahuas full, don't what? grow and shrink 40% <laughs> during the day. Full size. Small full size chihuahua. I Hang think, on. When the liver's at full size. Chihuahuas are like, they're big, right? Well, they're not as big as a Great Dane. I said a small you, chihuahua, Dan. I know, but just picture it very quickly. A chihuahua yeah. inside me right now. Yeah. I mean, a really tiny chihuahua. I think you mean a chihuahua without the tail. I think or when legs. you picture it, it, it they're has the a tail. size of the Mexican state of Chihuahua. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that is uh, based on a mental floss article. So that is. A mental floss are very reliable, so I don't know what they are. Yeah. 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 I believe that. A chihuahua? Yeah. No. Please. <laughs> okay. Chihuahuas aren't that big, they're bigger than that. Yeah. Anna's gesturing a really tiny dog with yeah. her hands. It's a mouse dressed up as a chihuahua. <laughs> yeah, I just think it's amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, it is very awesome. Is it thought to be because it's so that it can get used to rejuvenating? Is that right? So that if it's you know flooded with lots of poisonous stuff, at least it's able to like shrink and rebuild itself constantly. Yeah. Oh, okay. It is like basically a bit of X-Men, isn't it? Yeah, because it's really part is. of everyone's got this part of the body that's regenerating all the time. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. So we're like part Wolverine, just in our liver. Yeah. And we've yeah. mentioned before. Oh, that... Wolverine is all liver. Yes. Oh, wow. That's good. So we said before that if you chop your liver down to a quarter of the size, it will regenerate within a few weeks yeah. to its full size. And I think you said that if you put a Chihuahua's liver into a Great Dane, it will grow to the size of a Great Dane's liver. Yes. <laughs> is yeah. mad. Yeah. So you can donate half of your liver to somebody. Yeah. And they, within a few weeks, will have a full liver, and so will you. So we only need one liver for the whole human race, really. Yes. <laughs> it's like that Greek myth where they share one eye, but if like, you left a bit of eye behind in the socket, and then the eye just multiplied. Hang on. Doesn't Prometheus, when he's chained to the mountain in the myth, get yes. his liver torn out by a bird every day, and then it grows back? I think they did oh. know about... So they must have known... Hang on. No, they can't. How would they know? How could they know? know? But Prometheus gets his liver torn out every day, and then the next day it's grown back, and the bird tears it out again, and that's his punishment. Yeah, yeah. How did they know? They must have known. I don't think they did. You think it's a coincidence? I think it's a coincidence. I'm calling it. So, did you know that Tim Cook, you know, who's the current CEO of Apple, Mm -hmm. um, wanted to donate his liver or 50% of it to um, Steve Jobs when he needed a liver donation? And Tim Cook said that he's only been shouted at by Steve Jobs three or four times in their entire career and they worked very closely for many, many years Mm. and one of the times was that when he knocked on his door and said, can I give you some of my liver? And Steve Jobs said, no, don't be an idiot. You shouldn't have to do that for me. But he shouted at him. Yeah, apparently he got angry because I think Tim Cook was really insistent and said, I want to donate. Was it in his hand? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God! (laughs) You're dripping it on my floor. Get out of here. What is this, chopped liver? (laughs) Uh, So Steve Jobs actually had a liver transplant in, I think, 2008. Oh, he had a liver transplant in the 2000s. And the doctor who transplanted his liver later bought his house, which is quite nice. I went onto the old QI forums um, where we do our research for the TV show and found a discussion between me and Andy about whether we could eat human livers um, and not die, basically. Because oh. there's an old fact that if you eat a polar bear's liver, you'll die because it's got so much vitamin A in it. Mm. And so we worked out how much vitamin A there was per gram in a human liver, 
which is 575 international units, and then how heavy her liver was, and then what the maximum single intake dose for vitamin A was in a human, and we worked out that if you ate one and a third raw livers in a single sitting, you would probably die of vitamin A poisoning. It might be a bit different if you cooked it, but not too different. So if Hannibal Lecter, for instance, ate two two human livers in one sitting, he would die of vitamin A poisoning. Ah. But that's why they never show that scene in the film, because they knew it would be unrealistic to show him eating two livers. Yeah. Well, the other thing that would be realistic in the (laughs) film is if you eat too much vitamin A, your body stops being able to store it and you turn orange. (laughs) So the police should have been able to find him by just looking for an orange person. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Did you know that... You can grow a baby in a liver. Like human baby? Four babies have been born, not out of a womb, but out of a liver. Deliberately or ectopically, right? Well, nearly. So normally, egg gets fertilised, moves down into womb. Sometimes, egg gets stuck in fallopian tube. Problem, it's called an ectopic pregnancy. Sometimes, one in a hundred thousand times, the egg just falls out of the fallopian tube and it wanders off through the body. In the very, very rare cases where the, the fertilized egg lands in the abdomen in the liver, mm-hmm. it's got a massive blood supply there. The only thing it lacks is the muscular wall of the womb, so it's not as well protected, <sighs> but... No placenta, though. So how do they... It grows. Because food comes through it. This is incredible. Because it does so much. The liver does like 500 jobs, does everything. doesn't it? It does 500 jobs. It's like the George Osborne of the human body, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> and so the last time was in 2003 in South Africa. Doctors literally went into a woman's liver and pulled out a healthy baby. What? That is one of the best facts That's incredible. Can you imagine for the baby as well, half of its day, its flat gets 50% bigger. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that is it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland, James. At Eggshaped. Andy. At Andrew Hunter M. And Chazinski. You can email podcast at qi.com. Yep. Or you can join us every Monday on our Facebook page for a Facebook Live, 5 p.m. That's London time. And uh, we'll be there discussing the previous episode that has been played out that week and other things. You can also go to our website, no such thing as a fish.com. We have links to our tour in October and November. We also have a link to the book that we're releasing in November as well. And we have all of our previous episodes up there. So please go there and we'll see you guys again next week. Goodbye. <laughs>